Pastor Xavier Reese, and the perfect will of God unfolds despite his imperfect saints. Moses was a servant of God, submissive to God's proclamation, while his humanness was not concealed. Have you ever noticed in the scriptures that God reveals his people warts and all? You see how God works through them, you say, man, what a man of faith, and yet you see the flaws, the humanness. I may not always understand, but I do understand that God does not make mistakes. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Scripture is replete with the stories of God's chosen leaders suffering the consequences of, well, bad leadership. From Abraham to David to Peter, God has raised up leaders who have fallen in weakness while leaning on their own understanding rather than trusting God. And in the continuation of our series in Numbers today, Pastor Xavier highlights a clear example of such consequence with the sorrowful end of the ministry of Moses on today's Simple Truths. Let's listen. Throughout the scriptures, it is clear that it is God who ordains and commissions men to the ministry, not man. And yet I think we've lost sight of this as we look to our churches, we look to our seminaries, we look to our church committees. And for the most part, the Church of Jesus Christ acts today as if man is the one who does this. He is not. God called Jeremiah at a very young age and told him that he knew him before he formed him in his mother's womb. And that before he was born, God had sanctified him and ordained him to be a prophet to the nation of Israel in Jeremiah 1.5. Amos was called by God by his own testimony. He said, I was no prophet, nor was I a son of a prophet, but I was a herdsman and a tender of sycamore fruit. Then the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel, Amos 7, 14 and 15. Paul the Apostle declared how God had called him to be a chosen vessel of his, to bear his name before the Gentiles, kings, as well as the children of Israel in Acts 9, verse 15 and 16. Over and over, we read this as we go through the pages of Scripture. God just sovereignly chooses a man. He calls him. He anoints him. He begins a work. He anoints other people around him to come alongside and to do work and to reach out to people. And God puts it all together. And we read it, we study it, and we know it, but the part that we lose is at times in practical life. And men begin to take hold of the work of God, thinking it is them. And you know, there are some pretty impressive things man can do. With marketing and technology, man can really put some things together. There's only one thing. When you put things together, you have to maintain the things. <laughs> and that gets awfully tiresome. You strive to attain, you have to strive to maintain. If God does the work, then all you have to do is follow. And then everybody enjoys it. And that's the key. Now at the same time, we see that at different times, these men, whether it be kings, priests, or prophets, 
who were called and ordained of God, they failed tragically. They sinned to their own hurt. Abraham laughs in faith to trust God to have a son. And so what he did is he took his wife's advice. He went into Hagar, and Ishmael was born. Eli the priest honored his sons above God, and he did not constrain them from their open sin. Just let it go. David committed adultery with Bathsheba and killed her husband Uriah to cover up her pregnancy. The point being that it was both God who called them and either removed them or restored them. It is God who does all that. We want to look at the call of Joshua and the removal of Moses by God. God is the one who did both. The passage is verses 12 down to 23. The account recorded for us has three movements. Let me read the passage and then I'll give you the three movements that will help us in our outline. Verse 12 says, Now the Lord said to Moses, Go up into the Mount Abarim and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. And when you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people as Aaron, your brother, was gathered. For in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to hollow me at the waters before their eyes. These are the waters of Meribah at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Set him before Eliezer, the priest, and before all the congregation, and inaugurate him in their sight. And you shall give some of your authority to him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. He shall stand before Eliezer, the priest, who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of Urim. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. And so Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and set him before Eliezer the priest and before all the congregation. And he laid his hands on him and inaugurated him, just as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. There are three movements that we see in this passage. The first one is found in verses 12 through 14. The Lord removed Moses from ministry. Secondly, the Lord revealed Moses' heart through ministry, verses 15 through 17. And then third, the Lord replaced Moses in ministry, verses 18 through 23. Let's look at the first. The Lord removed Moses from ministry, verses 12 through 14. Notice first the Lord spoke to Moses in verse 12. The Lord is able to speak directly to the man he has called. Now it is possible and there are strong warnings that we can have a deaf ear to the things of God. We can become insensate because we progressively walk away from God. But if God is able to call a man, then God is able to speak to him and he will know. He's the one that has direct access to every one of us. 
Notice that it is God again who is the initiator. God is the one who takes the action, not man. Moses was to go up to Mount Abram. And also Moses was to see the land which God had given to the children of Israel in verse 12. Now Moses had been waiting for 40 years to enter the land. And all of a sudden they've arrived. But Moses was not going to be able to accomplish what he had dreamed about. He was going to fall short of it. He was going to see it, but never possess it. Now sometimes that happens in our life. We have dreams, we have visions, we have desires, and yet God will never allow us to accomplish those things. David wanted to build a temple for God. God says, you cannot. But I will build you a house. And your son Solomon will build me that temple. He did not allow him to be the one to fulfill it or to possess it, but he did allow him to see the fulfillment of it. There's God's mercy. And it's important that I understand that God is the one in control. He knows the wisdom behind whatever he allows and whatever he does not allow. I may not always understand, but I do understand that God does not make mistakes. And that's important. The Lord set the time of his removal, verse 13. Moses would be taken home to heaven after he had seen the land. You know, none of us know the day of our death. We know it's somewhere out there. And we know the older we get, the closer it's getting. And yet it seems that once we find out that we have some terminal illness, we just, oh, but we're always in the same position, are we not? <laughs> we know it's somewhere down the line. And yet God here allows him to know the time of his departure. Moses' death would be as Aaron's death on Mount Horeb. In chapter 20, verse 22 through 25, that's where, 29, that's where Aaron had died. Now, he calls Moses to die there. We don't have it here, but later on in Deuteronomy, and also Jude tells us that God buried Moses, and no one knows where he buried him, and Satan contended against the body of Moses. Moses took Aaron up to the mountain, stripped him of his high priest garment, gave him to his son, and there he died. Now God says, Moses, the same thing's going to happen to you. Look at the land, but you'll never possess it. This is what you've been waiting for, but you can't go in. An awesome time, a time of sweet and sour, a time of joy and grief, much what life is made of. Sometimes I think as Christians, we, we color code life and we tell people how great it is. No problems, isn't that? That's a lie. <laughs> life is sweet and sour. It's difficult. Notice that the Lord stated the reason in verse 14. He says, For in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, he had rebelled against the Lord's commandment to hollow him before the eyes of the people. Remember that? The place of his failure was Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. 
The occasion was the strife of the waters of Meribah. That's what the word means, strife. The sin of Moses was rebelling against God's commandment to hollow him as he struck the rock twice rather than speaking to the rock. You see, he gave the understanding that he was giving water to the children of Israel, not God. What must I do, you rebellious children? Should I strike this rock to give you water? Moses was not giving them water. God was. Secondly, he gave the understanding that God was mad at the people when in reality, Moses was mad. <laughs> we represent God or misrepresent God in many, many ways as Christians. We miscommunicate to people who God is. And that's why the world mocks us so vividly. Because they have a perfect example of misrepresenting God. Throughout the Old Testament, we see the work of God in removing one king after another. Sometimes when they disobeyed God, at other times, years afterwards, and yet other times, God restored the individual in spite of the horrible sin because of repentance. But it was God's doing, not man's. The Lord is able to speak to the individual about removal from ministry directly. And that individual will know. Believe me. Perhaps even God's anointing will be lifted from the man. Not always. But sometimes... I am sure. But the individual will know. I've always said from the beginning of ministry, whenever I start losing desire and, and a real zealousness for study and to feed the flock of God, and when you become a burden to me, that's when I get out. The Lord is also able to use others to confirm what God has already made known to the individual. Remember Samuel told Saul, the Lord has rent the kingdom from you. Saul already knew, but he wasn't believing and obeying what God was saying. And so God sends Samuel, and God does that also. Sometimes God sends people to confirm to that individual. Whenever God sends somebody to you, it will never be news if you're a Christian. It will always be confirmation of what God has been telling you about, but you've been shining them on. God knows your number. He knows where you live. He knows your telephone number. He knows everything about you. And he will tell you. And if you don't pay attention, he'll send somebody else to confirm it. And you can actually probably say, well, no, I don't know what that is, brother. I have no idea. I'll pray about it. But if God has sent him and it's truly God, then what he's telling you is only confirmation of what you are shining on. It won't be news. God's not the author of confusion. It will not be news. It'll be confirmation in your life. The problem comes when people want to play God and do not wait on God's timing. There are circumstances that are very clear that a person should be removed because of the Scripture's proclamations. They have been violated, and they no longer meet the requirements. We've studied that in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. And so when the Scriptures are clear and they've been violated, then we act. And it's just as God doing it Himself, because He honors His Word above His name, does He not? We're in a court. Matthew 18, whatever two or three agree in heaven, on earth, shall be done in heaven. That's not prayer. That's church discipline. Check it out. The fault and manner of sin will determine if, in fact, the individual can be restored to ministry or not. 
because different failures and falls have different consequences on this level of heaven. With God, everything's the same. With us, sin is sin. But different sins have different consequences. And they have to be dealt with on a different level. I don't think you'd put them all on the same level in this sight. The determination to restore the individual should involve the scriptures, time, and conduct to prove through tangible evidence the biblical repentance through a group of godly men. And if there's going to be restoration, it'll be done through that. But if the scriptures are clear that you are disqualified, then you are disqualified. Please understand we are not talking about forgiveness. Whatever you do, whatever I do, wherever we fail, if you truly, genuinely repent, you go to God, you're absolutely forgiven, and that sin will never, ever be mentioned. Murder, adultery, lying, cheating on your income tax, backbiting, he'll forgive it if there's genuine repentance. Absolutely. But restoration may not always be possible as it was before. And that's the problem. There is a sticky issue. In this case, the Lord removed Moses from ministry. It was God who removed him. Not the committee of Joshua. We already saw where Korah wanted to remove him. Notice, secondly, the Lord revealed Moses' heart through ministry, verses 15 through 17. Moses was a servant of God, submissive to God's proclamation, while his humanness was not concealed. Have you ever noticed in the scriptures that God reveals his people, warts and all? You see how God works through them. You say, man, what a man of faith. And yet you see the failures. You see the flaws. You see the humanness. He says, then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, let the Lord, the God of spirit of all flesh. Moses acknowledged God's sovereignty by how he addressed him. The title Lord means Yahweh, Jehovah. Jehovah's salvation, the covenant God. He realized God had made a covenant with him, and he had entered into that covenant. He wasn't just some force, some power out there, but he was the covenant God. The title God is Elohim, the triune creator of heaven and earth. He chose his words well because it was God who he was coming before and not just any person. The phrase, the God of the spirit of all flesh, implies his right to do as he wills with his creation. He's sovereign. Too often people are challenging God. Maybe a tragedy hits us or something like that. Why, Lord, why, God? You know, we try to be as tactful as we can, but cannot God do what he wants? Is he not the potter and we the clay? Does he not have the option to use whoever he wants in whatever way he wants, whenever he wants? And how he wants. But we get so caught up in our own little pattern, our own little plans and everything else, and, and all of a sudden God takes the left turn and we keep on going straight and we say, Lord, what's the matter? Come this way. As if he's following us. We are to follow him. Now, we don't get it here. 
Moses here is very submissive. But Moses' first petition to allow himself to be able to enter the land of promise. But God said no. Here's his humanness. Here's a great disappointment. He wants to enter in. And he reveals that. And you find that in Deuteronomy chapter 3. Let me read that for you. In Deuteronomy 3, 23 through 26, it says, Then I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven and earth who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds? I pray, let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains and Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account. So here's his humanist too. He's blaming the people. And would not listen to me. So the Lord said to me, enough of that. Speak no more to me of this matter. Are those words familiar in your life? Is there some you're always bugging God about and he's told you, no, 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 never. I don't even want to talk about it anymore. It's not the first time we find it. God told that to Paul. He said, my grace is sufficient. Now with hindsight, I am sure Moses' sin at Meribah seemed foolish and senseless. Here he is on the top of the mountain, looking over. He's waited 40 years for it. And as he looks, his sin at Meribah seems so foolish and senseless. Oh, how we can identify our life before Christ or in Christ. Things that once we get to that place and we see what we've lost, senseless, we say, how foolish could I have been? sweet and sour. With regret, he could clearly see what he had forfeited long-term-wise by yielding to his immediate fleshly desires. It was so clear right there. But when he was in the circumstance, he was caught up with himself, with his fleshly desires, and giving in. He didn't fully realize what he was forfeiting and giving up. Until, all of a sudden, here he is before the land. He sees it, but he'll never step on it. Talk about disappointment. Talk about reality. And at the same time, joy, because God's faithfulness that he would bring the people into the land. By the way, Moses did make it into the promised land. Don't look so puzzled. The Mount of Transfiguration. Moses and Elijah were there with Jesus but not on this side of heaven. And so, some of us have forfeited so much and we've lost so much. And we'll never regain that on this side of heaven. But we will when we're with the Lord. And that's reality. You see, if you're a Christian, you live in reality more than any other person because you can clearly see both sides of the street. There's no games that are played. You understand life completely. 
we see it very, very clear. Pastor Xavier Reese has been telling the sorrowful story of Moses unable to lead the children of Israel into the promised land, while illustrating God's grace nonetheless. And there's much more of this message to come next time. But if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy. And the title you want to ask for is simply God's Appointment of Joshua. It's available on CD for only $4. And this might be a study you'd like to pass on to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. Now, once again, the title to ask for is God's Appointment of Joshua, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com